you're listening to the Davenport Junior Theater Podcast. Welcome back to the Davenport Junior Theater Podcast, the podcast where we explore the past, understand the present, and dream of the future. Today on the show, we have Mary Swander. Welcome to the show, Mary. Can you tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do? My name is Mary Swander, and I am the artistic director of Swander Woman Productions, a theater troupe. I'm also the executive director of Ag Arts, which is a nonprofit designed to imagine and promote healthy food systems through the arts. I'm also a writer of poetry, nonfiction, and plays, and I'm the former poet laureate of the state of Iowa. Great. So what years were you involved at junior theater, and how did you get involved there? I was involved in junior theater from, for 10 years, from 1959 through 69. And I got involved, I got involved not of my own free will. I was one of those um, very shy kids and uh, the teachers called my mother and said, well, I think she's clearly bright, but she's not going to make it in school and she's not going to make it in life with her shyness. But in those days, thank God I was in those days, they sent you to the theater. (laughs) And uh, so I wasn't pleased about that at all. That seemed like my worst nightmare in the entire world. And my mother took me down to junior theater. And in those days, they were up above um, office buildings downtown. Mm -hmm. We moved from one place to another, to another, to another. And immediately threw me into a production of The Little Engine That Could, which was (laughs) going to be on the show wagon that summer. And I remember I was a cat. (laughs) And we got to the show wagon and I fell off the stage. So there you go. I I didn't have a very great um, beginning, but um, I climbed back up on the stage after I fell and Mary Nicewander said that I was a real trooper and that I could be in any production she ever had again. And um, I stuck with it. I came out of my I mean, I didn't really, I still have the same personality, but I learned, to basically get up and speak in front of people. And now um, a lot of my friends say that I'm more relaxed on stage than I am off, which I think is probably right. Mm -hmm. So I stayed with the theater through the rest, through high school then, and um, was in many, many productions. And uh, then in... Three years in high school, I worked for junior theater. I was on the junior theater board. Mm -hmm. I did acting, stage managing, and tech work. And um, worked with the major productions in the winter and then traveled around with the show wagon all summer. And... Uh, the show wagon went out in the mornings mm-hmm. and the evenings. 
so we lived on the east would it be the east side of town uh over by um jersey ridge in that area mm -hmm. and yeah. so i i remember i rode my bike every day twice a day all <laughs> the way over to vanderveer park then back again and then back again <laughs> at night so um it was a uh, it was not only um theater and work experience it was uh an exercise program in those <laughs> <laughs> in those summers yeah vanderveer park if i remember it's it's got a lot of hills to get up there from Jersey Ridge, so that yeah. sounds like good exercise. <laughs> yeah, and and these were the, these were the days before there were any gears on a bike, yeah. so it was just like a regular pump bike, you know. <laughs> so you were at junior theater for a decade, and you spent right. almost all of the '60s there. So, what was junior theater like in the '60s? Well, it was a fantastic opportunity for kids to get to know theater. People like me who had to get over some kind of um you know thing mm -hmm. and then uh and then they were like <laughs> wild kids too and i remember overhearing my mother talk to mary and she said yeah it boosts up the shy ones and it tames down the you know overactive ones but we also had a lot of talent there i was just thinking about this this morning one of the first productions after I was the cat who fell off the stage <laughs> then I was in um, Peter Pan mm -hmm. and that was our big we didn't do that very often in my 10 years I think we only produced it twice and um, that was spectacular we were in the Masonic Temple and Mary's husband Doc nice wanderer was had been an engineer before he went to chiropractic school and so he rigged up the whole set so that Peter and Wendy at all could actually fly. They were hooked wow. up to they were hooked up to wires mm -hmm. and they flew off across the stage. But Kathy Kehoe played Peter. And I don't know if you know this, but Sarah Rule, who is a was mm -hmm. is her daughter, is huge um success as a playwright. Mm -hmm. So, um, and then, you know, Kathy stayed in community theater the rest of her life. I believe she ended up in Chicago. So there were a lot of us who, to our parents' chagrin, uh, stayed with theater. Mm -hmm. I mean, um, Bump Heater was another one, and he, um, he was in my bag. He was really shy, so his parents sent him to junior theater and then he turned into a really good actor and he um went to brandeis and uh majored in theater then he acted off broadway in new york and um i kept in touch with him over the years and he said yeah my parents said we sent you there to get over your shyness we didn't expect you to stay in theater <laughs> Yeah, I feel like a lot of people, you know, do theater and they don't expect to stay there. And then, you know, you grow up and you're like, wow, I'm still here. It's interesting that you mentioned the Sarah, uh, Sarah rule because Augustana, the college I went to, um, they put on the vibrator play my sophomore year and Sarah rule, the, the next year actually came and like talked to oh, us. Oh, fantastic. Yeah. And then no, we fantastic. recently, um, the Summerstock program that runs out of Augustana, they 
uh, it was supposed to produce it this summer, but they ended up doing it over Zoom. They did for Peter Pan on her 75th birthday. Oh, oh, that that's that's right. I followed that. That was so cool. Yeah, yeah that so was, that it's, was it's, fantastic. It's really cool to hear that she played um, Peter Pan when she was young. Oh, yeah, and she was great. I mean, she was really great. And, um, you know, that was a big part for a kid to play. I yeah. Mean, she, was, she was a fantastic actor, and she had carrot red hair and, mm -hmm. you know, looked the part, and... Um, that was an extravaganza. There were so many of us in that show because, uh, you know, mm -hmm. Mary would run different classes through as the um, different elements of that mm -hmm. play where they needed crowd. I was there as a crowd scene, basically, you know, so. So I know you talked about falling off the stage, but do you have any other favorite backstage or onstage mishaps? Yes. Still embarrassed about this one. I um, was working tech and we were doing Land of the Magic Dragons. <laughs> and there were three times where there was supposed to be a puff of smoke mm -hmm. that you know, went up and then the dragon was supposed to do something uh, behind that puff of smoke. I mean, it was really a great in those days, especially a great effect. Mm -hmm. And so I was in charge of the smoke and it all it entailed was switch, flipping a switch that Orville, who was our stage hand set maker mm -hmm. uh, guy, had all rigged up. And I sat there and I was like, don't mess this up. Just don't mess this up. You gotta hit this smoke right. And, you know, and I was following along in the script and I just kept saying, don't mess this up. And somehow or another, my hand flipped the switch and poof, the smoke went up at the wrong time oh, in the no. play. Yeah. And the actors were like, ah, <laughs> what happened there? <laughs> but they, this is the one thing you learned in junior theater. You learned that the show must go on and that if there are mistakes, you just have to take that in your stride. And, and they did. Mary was not really pleased with my <laughs> technical ability that day, but uh, there you go. So I also know that you took private lessons from Mary. How did yeah, that did. come about and what was that like? Well, that came about because of the shyness thing. And, uh, you know, I wasn't, <laughs> especially at the beginning, I was not a good actor, as you can imagine. And, uh, and, the, and the, other, the other students were like, Get her off the stage. She's no good. You know? And um, it was, uh, it didn't, it didn't want me, it didn't make me want to go back. Mm -hmm. And so um, my mother in her wisdom was like, well, maybe you need a little bit more help with this. And uh, so she um, had Mary give me private lessons, which was, you know, it was great. Mary was a brilliant talented person she mm -hmm. I don't know if you know all of this but you know she grew up in Korea and mm -hmm. her parents were missionaries and I wrote a I wrote a article about her in high school and she was sitting in a tree and she liked to read and she would climb up into a tree and read and she was doing that one day I think she was like age uh -huh. eight and a 
and she had the book open and boom, a sword went right through the book. Whoa. (laughs) Yeah. And she was kidnapped. She was in the middle of the Boxer Rebellion Mm -hmm. and she was kidnapped and taken on horseback to some um, village and she was ransomed. They then sent a ransom note to her parents and she was ransomed for 69 chickens. <laughs> That's crazy. Yeah, no, no. I mean, she, she, she lived a life. And then um, she wanted to go in the theater and she went to New York and um, acted in the American Academy. Mm-hmm. And then um, the reason she, then she was in regular production. She was Helen Hayes's understudy on Broadway. Mm-hmm. And then she, um, the way she got to Davenport, if you haven't heard the story, is that she was touring a show with her whole family and her husband, but they were both actors mm-hmm. and her three, three kids. And um, he died, I believe it was an appendicitis or something like that, suddenly in Davenport. Mm-hmm. And she was left there and had no show and $50 in her pocket. Mm-hmm. And she got out on the streets of Davenport and started doing puppet shows just to get some money. Yeah. No, I mean, she was, she was something else. And then she finally talked the park and Rick's um, department into, uh, you know, supporting a, um, in those days they called it children's theater. I was actually, when I was on the board, we actually voted to name it junior theater because we didn't want to seem like a, um, you know, children's theater made it right. sound like when you're 18, you don't want to be called a child. So yeah, exactly. That's, that's how it turned around. So you mentioned that you were on the junior board and it's really funny um, the way we basically came back into contact with you. We are the AmeriCorps members were um, renovating lower 13 cottage and trying to turn it into a history museum. And we oh. were just going through old things, and we found the the board with all the old junior exec- executive <laughs> members on it. And we were just interested to see, you know, where you guys are are now. And by happenstance, I picked the first name I saw, and I looked up your name on Facebook, and I found you. I, I assumed it was you because um, you had theater stuff in your bio. Yep. yep. And then I think it was the next day or two you had emailed Daniel about a rental inquiry. So it kind of, Oh, it all came together. Yeah. 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 It was like this really serendipitous thing. So uh, what was it like being on the junior board? Well, basically we were trying to raise money and I mean, there were some really cool people um, on that board, but we, you know, we were uh, there. We were the whole time. As I said, we were moving from one, you know, old building to the next. And I, I just remember going, climbing stairs when um, I was in junior theory. You know, we, we were up like two or three flights and constantly going up and down stairs. Although I liked being downtown. That was like really a fun thing for, mm-hmm. in those days because just take the bus downtown. Um, and so... Mary really, really wanted a permanent theater. You don't know how lucky you are to have what you have now. Mm-hmm. And because, yeah, in 10 years, I think we were in four different places. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just amazing. 
and then they and they had to move all that stuff and oh my gosh anyway mary went on a fundraising um campaign and she, <laughs> she had a board she had a, also had an adult board mm -hmm. and and uh i know um Cal Werner was on it. I can't remember the other people, but um, he was a big um, supporter. And so they put us in costume mm -hmm. on the street. And we did this, I don't know how many times. And <laughs> I remember standing on Brady Street in costume, literally with a little tin cup. Oh and yeah. And then they had they had these little miniature show wagons that were on like regular red flyer wagons, mm -hmm. and 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 then we put our money in there, and then at the end of the day, I mean it was work at the end of the day, and we were out there. I don't know. I think it was like three or four hours at a time, mm -hmm. and we. It, at the end of the day, then we all pulled our wagons to, I guess it was to the, um, to the building where we were mm -hmm. our, and, and then tallied up the, <laughs> we tallied up the money. I can't imagine how much money it was. It wasn't very much. And then they gave us, I remember this, they all gave it, they gave us a bottle of pop. That was our um, that was your reward. for the day. Yeah. I mean, a lot of us did it though. We were all out there. It was very funny because I was like, I don't want to have to wear one of those like long flowing gowns on the street in the, you know, cause it was hot and dirty mm -hmm. and everything out there. So I ran in and um, got myself a costume that had like, I can't remember what it was. It, had, it was much more streamlined than that. <laughs> <laughs> so you graduated junior theater in 1969, right? Right. So what path did your life take after junior theater, and how do you think junior theater had an impact on that? Oh, it had a, you know, it had a big um, impact. I never considered myself a great actor, although I, I have... I've done a lot of performing and, and, and acting after that. So um, I didn't go to theater school after that. I worked a little bit when I was at the University of Iowa at the Writers' Workshop. I decided I was going to be a writer because one of the reasons was because <laughs> one day I asked Mary, I said, how come we just do the same shows over and over again? This is getting boring. And um, she said, well, there aren't very many shows written for kids as mm -hmm. that kids would be the actors in. I'm like, really? And she said, she said, no, there just aren't. She said, you'll just have to write one. You know, that's how she was yeah. like, you have to write one. And um, that I was like, oh, how interesting. Uh, that's one part of junior theater that I hadn't really thought of, or, mm -hmm. you know, we didn't sit down and write plays together. That's for sure. Um, but I'd always wanted to be a writer, which is way more suited to my personality. And so um, I went to the writer's workshop. I um, am now widely published um, writer in nonfiction and plays. 
and I just have a new book. It's a biography called The Maverick MD. Mm-hmm. And um, I wrote plays all along, and then it really took off when um, I was actually teaching at Iowa State. And um, I used to go to New York like every six months and mm-hmm. see plays. And uh, I really fell in love with verbatim plays, you know, with based on interviews or mm-hmm. newspaper articles. They exonerated. I saw that in New York. It was just fabulous. And um, saw a lot of, you know, shows like that. Um, Laramie, mm-hmm. Wyoming show. And um, so I walked into my class, had a class at Iowa State, and I said, okay, you guys, we're going to write a play, and it's going to be based on interviews. And we've got, we're here in Ames, Iowa, so we've got to find a topic. We can't, like, you know, travel to Alaska mm-hmm. or anything. And you tell me what the topic is, basically. And we came up with Farmscape, the changing rural environment, and students fanned out all over the state. They interviewed relatives, people involved in uh, farming in every shape and form. We wrote a play, put it together. I can't, still can't believe we did it in one semester called Farmscape and the thing took off. Like um, I thought we were gonna have one performance of it at Iowa State and it toured all over the place, uh, including um, to the USDA for a special performance for Secretary Vilsack. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, and then, so then I became known as the agricultural drama queen. Mm-hmm. And and I, I, I was into that because I'm, active in the food movement and uh, belong to various farming groups. And so I, then I was called in by, um, well, there was another play in there about immigrant farmers mm-hmm. called Bang that's still touring. And then I was called in by the uh, Practical Farmers of Iowa when they asked me to write a play about farmland transition, which is a huge, huge topic mm-hmm. in um, farming world, meaning who are you going to pass the farm on to? Mm-hmm. And I wrote that show like six years ago, and that's just toured like crazy. It toured, toured coast to coast, um, Federal Reserve Bank of Chicago to um, – NYU in New York to um, out to Portland, Mm -hmm. up to Washington State, all down to Mississippi, all over the place. So um, I soon had my own theater company, which I call Swander Woman Productions, because I knew that, you know, you're not going to get, you know, I'm not going to get an agricultural play produced you know, off Broadway in New York. Mm-hmm. It's just not going to happen. And uh, and it's not going to happen if I would send it to some of the local regional theaters and, you know, they're all in cities, essentially. Mm-hmm. And because we've got such a rural-urban divide that the people in the urban areas don't even know what I'm talking about. 
Right. And um, so I decided the only way to get this show out there is just tour it myself. So um, before the pandemic hit, I had eight different actors. We were doing shows like once a week, once every two weeks, we were touring all over the place. Um, I had um, four different casts. I learned that from Mary that you'd have to double cast everything. Mm -hmm. And, (laughs) and, um, you know, had my own sound equipment, props, all that kind of stuff. And then, um, so that was, that was just flying high. I also founded a little, as an offshoot of that, a little nonprofit called Ag Arts, Mm -hmm. Arts and Agriculture is the emphasis. And, um, started putting artists on farms to um, have them learn, have the artists learn from farmers what their issues really are and try to reflect that in their work. So that was all just really going really well. We were performing at major agricultural conferences and then the pandemic hit. Right. And you know what's happened to theater since then. Yeah. Uh, But I regrouped and we have a great video of Map of My Kingdom. So we've been able to use that mm-hmm. for some of the some of the conferences we were booked and they just moved the whole conference online. So they just played the video. Other people have downloaded the video mm-hmm. and been happy with that. And then I started, you know, I looked at the situation. I was like, well, you know, in the beginning, everybody thought, oh, we'll probably be suffering through this for a month or two. I, I knew it was going to be longer than that. And mm-hmm. so I started a podcast called Ag Arts from Horse and Buggy Land, and I'm having so much fun with it. Um, I have six episodes up now. They come every two weeks, and um, I do uh, a monologue. I live in the middle of the Amish settlement near mm-hmm. Kelowna. So I do a, uh, a monologue on there. I've got local musicians um, playing old-time bluegrass, jazz, blues. Mm-hmm. I have um, invented a town, and uh, it's sort of the Amish uh, prairie home companion. And uh, I've invented characters in the town and have little bits, have invented a radio station, have little bits from that. And then I, I do... I've been able to do some interviews. That's been hard again in the pandemic. I have an office in Sound Studio downtown Kelowna, and my original vision was that I'd have farmers come in there and tell me stories, and we can't do that right now. Right. But we've been able to do other things. And so that's that's really flying high, and um, that all goes back to Davenport, because once I got into <laughs> – once I got into um, – junior theater I would I would go for my little rehearsal on Saturday mornings everything happened on Saturday mornings and then Mm -hmm. after school and uh, then I would go up to my father's office and he had one of those old dictaphone machines Mm -hmm. and it had it was it was ancient it had little plastic cylinder tape thingy that went around and around and uh, I would make up radio shows 
I always loved the radio. I was like, oh, this is for me because you don't have to get out there on the stage mm -hmm. and see people. And, you know, again, it was just um, something that appealed to me and my makeup. And um, I had an audience of one. I would then leave the little tape on my dad had a great secretary. She's really funny. And I leave the tape for her and she would come in on Monday morning and um, play it and then call me up and tell me how funny it was. Hmm. Uh, and uh, so, yeah, so that was the beginning of my podcast era. And that all had, you know, I wouldn't have been doing that without junior theater. If people want to find your podcast, where can they go to? Um, it's anywhere you get your normal podcasts. It's on Spotify and um, Apple and all that. The uh, you can also go to the Ag Arts website, which mm -hmm. is agarts a g a r t s dot org, and there's a button podcasts. Great. So earlier you mentioned that you were the poet laureate of Iowa. So can you explain like what that even means and talk a little bit about how that happened? Well, um, it's a um, basically honor bestowed on one poet in mm -hmm. the state of Iowa. And your job is basically how you shape it, but it's to promote the literary arts in the state. And so I went around for 10 years to schools, classrooms, um, nursing homes, assistant living, libraries, all over the state, um, conferences, and gave readings, talks, workshops, mm -hmm. lectures, and um, met a lot of wonderful people. And... I've lived in Iowa most of my life, and I thought I basically knew the state, but you really don't until you do that mm -hmm. full Grassley uh, 99 county tour. And what pleased me the most was there's so many people out there that want to write or are writing um, in different genres and are interested in reading and supporting writers and meeting writers. And um, that was just so important to me to see all that literary activity uh because as you know um being in theater there's it's all a do-it-yourself um mm -hmm. situation with the arts in the u.s and um, mostly there's not a um there's not a lot of interest structure set up um for it unless you're at a university or something like that but even then you know, that's the first place it gets its budget cut. Right. So, so you know, I, I just had to give it to the people of Iowa. These were people that were getting together on their own, forming writing groups, meeting, you know, at the public library or at a cafe. It, it, you know, uh, some of them had um, arts, town arts councils mm -hmm. or town um county arts centers which is really a cool thing i mean that takes some um, real um, organization so from your bio i learned that you play the spoons the harmonica <laughs> and the banjo which yeah. was a really interesting fact to learn but do you have any hidden talents or hobbies that not many people know about yes uh 
I am a licensed massage therapist in, in addition to everything else I do. And actually made my living that way for many years. And um, so actually a lot of people know me as a massage therapist and not mm -hmm. as a writer. Lots of people that came to me for um, massage had not a clue that I was a writer. And, um, and so when that, part of my career started to take off people were like wow really and uh <laughs> so there's an interesting tidbit about me i also um am a dedicated uh organic gardener i raise about 90 percent of my own food mm -hmm. and um have spent most of my adult life trying to find the best and easiest ways to garden and I experiment all the time. I have my own little test plots going. That's really in, cool. Uh, yeah, in, in my garden. And um, I try different varieties. I try different methods. I try different kinds of mulches and cover crops. And that's one of the reasons I started going to um, um, farming conferences mm -hmm. because I was like, oh, wow, there are these people, you know, they're doing it on a way bigger scale right. than I am. I got like two acres, right? But I could just take their methods and whittle them down to, mm -hmm. to my size. So um, these are the good months in the winter when you start to plan and plot right. and think, oh, cool, what could I try this year? You also have goats, right? Yeah. Um, not right now is there i i marries meat goats and mm -hmm. um they're about to be slaughtered they're part of my diet and mm -hmm. um yeah i love goats they're wonderful creatures great so we like to ask um like a fun question uh so if you could have lunch with anyone throughout history who would it be uh, yeah, that's that's a crazy question. I know. <laughs> There's so many people. Okay, um, if you could have a little dinner party, who would you invite? Yeah, uh, uh, yeah. Um, uh, I I I am actually fascinated. Another aspect to me is I have a, a spiritual side to me, mm -hmm. and. I have always been in love with the mystics, these mm -hmm. incredible people who have a much larger vision than we mere mortals will ever have. So um, I would like to meet Hildegard of Bingham. And she was um, a German mystic who, she was, an, she was a nun, but she was, you know, a spiritual guide, a musician, a botanist, a writer. She was just a genius that had all parts of her brain activated and saw things on a much higher spiritual plane than anybody I know. Awesome. So, yeah. So back to junior theater. I know. I don't, I don't know if Hildegard was in junior theater. I don't think. <laughs> I know that you were one of the pallbearers at Mary's funeral, and I know that must have been an incredible honor. So can you talk a little bit about what that was like? Yeah. Um, of course, it was a real passing of an error. Mm -hmm. And um, 
it was a huge honor to do that. And I didn't have to carry anything because it was all on a um, gurney kind of a mm -hmm. thing. So I thought that was the coolest thing because in those days they didn't have women be pallbearers. You know, mm -hmm. that was, that was not done. And then Sally, when Sally called me, I was just like, of course I'll be there. That, that would be great. Sally, Mary's daughter. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, we never knew how old Mary was. We just always, cause she had that white hair. We always thought she was 90, you know, always. <laughs> From day one. <laughs> and, so in some ways it was a, you know, I knew she was ailing, but some ways it was a shock to me to um, have her finally gone. Cause I just mm -hmm. thought of her as uh, living forever at age right. 90. And so the coolest thing was the funeral was in the theater. Mm -hmm. You know, the theater that she had worked so hard that we'd stood on the street corners with our little cups in costume to get at the old Annie Whitmire home. And uh, we were all in the seats. And what I, you know, all of these memories came flooding to me, which was <laughs> that um, when they were building the theater, mm -hmm. that's when I was in college and I stopped by you know, to see what was, came, when I was home from college, stopped by to see what was going on. And she was like, all right, Mary, how do you like these seats? And I said, the seats are beautiful. And she said, yeah, I told them they had to rake the seats. And they said, you don't need to rake the seats. And I said, yeah, we have to rake the seats. So we had this big fight. And they said it was going to cost a lot more money to rake the seats. And so <laughs> she said, I can't remember what it was. <laughs> she had some very large man, man mm -hmm. tall and large man on her board. And, and she was like, hey, Joe, you sit in this seat. And then she had some very small guy that was the one that was, you know, making the fuss about not raking the seats. Mm -hmm. She said, hey, Joe, you sit behind him. Now, I'm on the stage. What do you see? And the little small guy goes, I don't see a thing. All I see is, you know. Mm -hmm. ahead in front of me and she said there that's why we need to rake the seats and <laughs> <laughs> and by gum those seats were raked and we were sitting in them for that funeral and then mr werner was like the the minister uh mc and her coffin was on the stage i mean it was just it was mind-boggling so there she was her coffin was on the stage and mr werner was up there uh eulogizing her but he did it as a dramatic monologue he was right. like now mary now mary when we first met so he's like talking to her on the stage i i just sat there and i was like this is this is such a great grand finale i can't even tell you we like to ask our alumni why are programs like junior theater important to support oh yeah i mean look at my story yeah really, i don't know what would happen to me if i hadn't been in junior theater um it, I, my life certainly would not be where it is today, you know, um, running a theater, hosting mm -hmm. a podcast, it continue, you know, being the former poet laureate, writing books, being um, immersed in the arts. It was the thing that um, really gave me the idea that you could continue with the arts the rest of your life and, um, uh, and be involved in some shape or form, which is, is, is what I did. 
I knew uh, that it was going to be tough to make a living doing that. But you know what? Until the pandemic, I was making a living with theater. And I was also providing a job for eight other actors. Mm -hmm. I was touring around the United States, educating people about um, farming issues through theater, which um, I think is just a great blending. And I don't know if any if anybody else is doing that much, maybe one or two other people. Mm -hmm. So a final question I have for you is what advice would you give a current junior theater student? Oh, stick with it. Um, keep on plugging. You, uh, you know, you're going to have those moments where you, like I did, where you doubt your own abilities, like one way or another, and you will grow in self-confidence. That's the biggest thing. And um, just I remember giving my little speech on that <laughs> junior board. I don't know. We were at some fundraising dinner mm -hmm. or something. And um, even if you never continue in theater, mm -hmm. it'll give you the ability to, to voice and articulate your thoughts and ideas and mm -hmm. get up in front of people. Like a lot of... Um, People like Bump Peter, who, you know, was in theater. Then he went to law school. Mm -hmm. And there's so many different careers like law where you have got to stand up and talk to people and persuade people of something or another. Um, teaching, that's another place where my theater background really, really, really came into play. There are just millions of jobs. I, don't, I can't think of any job where you don't have to um, interact or speak mm -hmm. to people. So stick with it. Have fun. It's, you know, it's called a play for a reason. Um, and um, I remember being on that show wagon and touring around in those summers, and we just had so much fun with the cast and the crew and the kids in the audience. And, mm -hmm. um, I, you know, I learned about, Davenport that way we went to every park all over the entire city and um, yeah it was just a, it was a lot of fun and um, and you know it gave me a little spending money in high school I I, I, um, I never asked my parents for any money through high school for I you know and I bought my own clothes and all that kind of stuff out of my junior theater um, little paycheck I think we made I don't know, it was something crazy, like a dollar an hour. And, uh, <laughs> and we worked a lot of hours. Yeah. <laughs> well, thank you so much for talking to me today. Oh, you're welcome. Thanks for doing the podcast. And um, just keep me abreast on what's happening at mm -hmm. Junior Theater. I'm thrilled over the years to see its development and all the things that it's doing. And mm -hmm. um the last time I looked, you know, you'd like most of us had gone online, but you're able to draw in students from all over the country. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's right? awesome that we're doing the virtual classes because we have a lot of alumni who, you know, have moved to different states and now their kids can do junior theater, which a lot of them are really excited about. So that's a, oh, one of the good things about fantastic. online classes. Yeah. That's fantastic. Yeah. And they've expanded well, their classes so much. We have things from 
playwriting to musical theater to oh, dance. Dance. Yeah. We have uh, like a voiceover class, acting with <laughs> accents. We have all kinds of things. <laughs> that is fantastic. Yeah. Well, good luck with that and uh, hope to be in touch. Yeah. Yeah. I'll definitely keep you in the loop. Okay. Thanks so much. Thank you. This has been the Davenport Junior Theater Podcast. Thanks for listening.